Hello, listeners, and welcome to this month's episode of the Way We Work podcast, where we explore the changing ways of work. We're here today with Kevin Mulcahy of the Future Workplace Network. Kevin is a workplace trends expert, helping employees and companies interpret and understand the shifts that are reshaping the workplace and the people in it. He's the co-author of the Future Workplace Experience and an executive education instructor of entrepreneurial thinking at Babson College. He's joining Humanized CEO Ben Weber today to discuss how technology is impacting the future of work and what employees, leaders, and corporations can do to be better prepared for how technology is transforming their roles in today's digital era. First of all, just thanks for taking the time to, uh, to, to be on. Um, and obviously there's lots of things we can talk about with regards to you know, the future of work, uh, in quotes, more broadly. Um, but obviously the the big driving factor behind that is changes in technology, right? Changes in the sorts of things we produce, the tools we use, um, all these things. Um, and I, I'm sort of, you know, there's obviously so many <laughs> things we can go into there, but from your perspective, are there particular topics within that, within technology, um, that are more strongly impacting uh, how we work today? Absolutely. Um, the, the first notion we have to think about is the distinction between disruptive technologies and transformative technologies and and know which side we're on. Disruptive technologies are when it's being done, technology is being done to us. It is disrupting our lives. We didn't choose the pace, we didn't choose the timing, we didn't choose the technology. We have to respond to it. It is disruptive to us. Transformative technologies are the ones that we chose, and that is in enabling us. So the distinction is, do you find technology disruptive, or do you find technology transformative? And those that can plan ahead and choose their technologies and choose the ones that they want to adopt can be transformative. And if you don't make those choices, not making a choice about technology is not an answer. It's not a strategy. You will be disrupted. Your choice. Well, so let's play that forward then. If in terms of some transformative technology or some transformative technological trends, maybe let's call them, you know, within uh, within organizations within the workplace, um, what are some of the things that you've seen? Whether it, like specific examples or just uh, um, not necessarily of technologies because given your definition, but really of, of companies really taking that in and planning for those things yeah. um, that you've seen um, be interesting, I guess. Great interest. Well, let's think about, uh, we'll go on the notion of, I want to be a transformative company, therefore I want to proactively adopt technology. Where are the different areas that I could do that? And, and there's four categories that I think about. One is, uh, what are new technologies that enable workflow? Right, we're seeing a move away from the old, uh, when I joined the workplace, it was, uh, I joined pre-office, right? It was Microsoft 95, it was DOS, it was, but, but personal productivity tools on our computer were our workflow for 20 years. And now we're seeing the emergence of Slack and other online collaboration tools that all of the technologies which technologies can we introduce that completely disrupt our own business models? And in there are technologies such as AI, 
right, would be one of the, the most disruptive. We saw cloud and mobile and, so, and social media being disruptive over the last five, five to 10 years. Now we're seeing AI being one of the big disruptive technologies. So those again are the categories I find it useful to, to at least know what category we're playing in yeah. before we, we dig into what we want to do about it. No, and that's an important point. And I guess I'm curious because of um, a lot of the buzz and let's say hype around things like AI in particular, do you feel like there are things that are fundamentally different about that technology versus, as you mentioned, you know, cloud or, or um, frankly, any of these other um, class of tools you're talking about? Absolutely. If you look at the media, nobody was talking about articles of the cloud is coming to get you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, the cloud is going to take your job. The, the cloud is going to get its hands on a gun and shoot you one day. Uh, or, or lock you in your house and starve you out of your house. Right? Although maybe you can't do that actually. <laughs> so it's, but, but the, but that yes. was, the media didn't, wasn't, the fear weren't there on these technologies. Yeah. The fear were like, oh, I, I, am I going to be able to learn how to use this quicker than other people are going to be able to use it? And our business is sense of urgency, not sense of fear. So we're, what we've seen in, in AI is, is a, a sense of either it's fears versus dreams. Yeah. And, and one, uh, and if it, in, as media has learned, if it bleeds, it leads. So articles about fear tend to dominate the media on AI. But the reality, when you talk to practitioners who've mastered it, is actually the practitioners talk about dreams. So fears are language like, well, what if algorithms, the decision-making algorithms get infected? What if the algorithms or the experiences that we create for people are less human. Um, what if something goes wrong? Well, those of us that implemented the AI, nobody will trust us as employers if, or as, as their providers if the algorithm makes very bad, high-profile bad decisions, right? So those are the fears versus once people get into implementing pilots and, and you ask them, well, what is it that you're actually trying to do proactively? What are your dreams for AI? And then we hear things like, well, I can outsource uh, tasks that, that were previously painful for me. I can improve the, the mix of, of the work that I do versus the machine does. I can, I can make smarter decisions faster. I can create better experiences for my employees. I can enhance the engagement of my customers, my employees. Once you start looking at AI through a dream lens, there's a lot of uh, benefits that AI can deliver um, in the hands of a human plus AI partnership. And that's what we're seeing as more of the realities of AI by those that have some experience, it's dreams, but the media loves to sell the fears because that gets, that's bait click on, on getting your articles read. That's right. I do think though, and I'm curious on your perspective on this, that, and really there's the question, do both leaders as well as employees, do you feel like they're responding more in the near term to that, to that fear? Or are they actually trying to, to plan ahead, again, to make this transformative technology in terms of seeing, well, hey, here's how we can integrate AI into our business in maybe a similar way that we saw with, with cloud in, in, um, in still today, right? About how that can be incredibly transformative if you plan ahead or it, it can tank parts of your business. Uh, 
So every individual leans towards being more pessimistic or more optimistic. Um, and that affects our political bias, it affects our decision-making bias, it affects our people bias, etc. And I'll go back to that notion of transformative versus disruptive. Do you think technology is here to hurt us and it's something to be feared and we have to react to? Or do you think it provides a unique opportunity to be transformative and for us to do our work better, to enhance the experience that we have of working and to change our whole business model? And so it comes back that, to that notion. And if you see it through a lens of being transformative, you are more likely to go, awesome, what can we pilot? This is new, This is a, we have a new technology that does something we haven't used it for before. This could create a great new experience. Let's pilot it, let's, let's try this out for a, an application that we haven't thought about using technology for before. That's transformative. If you're going to sit and wait for it and while other people are doing it around you, then it's going to be disruptive. And, and what we see is the companies that consistently emerge as leaders are the ones that tend to pilot and adopt new technologies earlier and are willing to, and I'm using the word pilot deliberately, you're willing to experiment with a technology to, uh, in an area or a function where you hadn't used technology before and learn how that might work for your company, not for a different company. And so essentially you're, you're really saying that one of the key things is just to not, not just get exposure to this technology, but proactively plan you know, smaller tests to see, hey, how will this work for us? And it's interesting that if you think about things like Slack, which you mentioned earlier, that is a, a technological tool that is easy to pilot in the sense that you could have a team of five people and we can try it out um, essentially for free. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to be going through the formal IT channels, right? But I'm able to, ex to experiment with that. I could see, hey, do I like that or not? Right. Um, maybe I use Slack, maybe I use Microsoft Teams. But, but the idea that I can, in a pretty low-impact way, actually see how it, how it changes our work, um, it seems to dovetail very nicely with that. Um, I'm curious if in things like AI, I mean, certainly there are... There are straightforward tools and algorithms, and a lot of times when people say AI, they mean, you know, we ran a linear regression and saw something. So we can talk about, about that. Um, but, you know, it seems like there's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe for, I, I think maybe when it comes to AI, it's not that there is a single AI tool. I think this is one of the differences, right? right? In, in a similar way that there are cloud tools, but it's not, you know, experimenting with AWS, that's as an example, that's not, it's not like I just buy a license and then just see what happens. You can sort of do that with something like Slack, but with things like, you know, like an AWS or like, um, you know, AI algorithms in general, you need to think of the application first. You need to actually implement something. It will take some amount of work. Now, how much you buy in is a different thing, but I think, you know, it sounds like that both, you know, me as a, as an employees, a worker, as well as a leader, I need to be willing to make some investment for most of these things. It's sure there are some technologies where I can, for essentially no cost, try something out, but it does seem like with some of these things I need to exert and expect to exert more effort and that's an important hurdle to get over. Is yeah. that your take on it? Um, absolutely. And I, and I think we can distinguish here between 
ambient technologies and active technologies. And an active technology, I have to have some mastery of. And an ambient technology, it affects my life in ways that I don't even realize. I took a, uh, I Ubered over here today to meet with you this morning. I didn't have to tell anybody the directions. Yeah. That was an AI, yeah. right? Uh, if I had asked my, 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 my phone, my Siri, to play me a song, that's AI. My Alexa in my house, if I asked Amazon to do something, that's AI. When I last booked a, an airplane ticket to go to a certain location, I was presented a fare to, at that time because of the, who I was, when I was logging on, and what that destination was. That's AI. So the ambient is it's here. If I walk into this building, and, and I, you have a beautiful building here, congratulations on moving <laughs> to your new office in the last year, but I saw some sensors on some of the floors that are turning off the lights when I'm not here. That is a form of AI. And so these are ambient applications of AI that what most people don't realize is AI is in your everyday world almost as much as the oxygen and the food uh, that you have in your day and the water that you have in your daily life. You don't even realize how often you are coming across an AI application every day. And then there's the where we actually know that we're using AI. And I think that the best applications are we shouldn't even be aware that we're using AI. I, I returned something to an Amazon store the other day and that whole interface online with, the, with the, the chat function, I learned afterwards I never actually chatted with a single person. I completed my whole return of a product with an AI bot, but I was not sure until I went and asked the Apple store, was that a person I was dealing with or was that really a machine? And that's the beauty of where we, where AI can go, um, is we shouldn't even be aware that we're using it, but it's ambient and in our lives and informing our actions and providing us with feedback and nudges that we need. And if it is in our way and we have to go learn things, now we're dealing with what every tech, new technology has had to deal with is adoption curves, uh, people's ability to master something and oh, this is a new technology, you must learn it and those that are good. Like, there is nothing I need to, a great AI means there's nothing for me to learn other than speak more articulately or, um, or be able to, uh, and this is what we're seeing with chatbots. Most of the chatbots or the great killer app, I think, uh, coming up right now is the voice interface. Siri, play my favorite song. That, that voice enabled interface to an algorithm is, that does something for me. That's the ultimate holy grail of AI where it's a human-like experience but I, and I'm, I'm making a verbal request and I'm getting a result from that. Now, what is behind that? That's the magic or the molasses of how, uh, what is my experience of using the AI application that you've given me? And I can give you some examples of how companies are using it in HR. Um, 
And how ambient is that? Or what? Or did you really make me feel like I was dealing and interacting with a machine? I mean, I think then the important point is not, what you're essentially saying is that organizations have, whether it's problems or opportunities that they identify. And the question is, well, what, um, what tools can I bring to bear that make that solving that or really acting on that opportunity as, as seamless as possible. In the case of things like um, the cloud, I might not know that the file I'm working on is not physically stored on my computer, but I don't care. It doesn't matter. To, to me, it's just easy to access, and for the company, there's there are benefits for it, but it started from a perspective of, here's a technology that solves a problem, but we can actually implement it in a way that does not dramatically change how work happens. And so in the sense, Again, the key thing for leadership is to plan those things, and for employees, there's somewhat of a learning curve, but it's very minimal. Um, the things that have a higher learning curve, um, that seems to fall more into the category of disruption that you're talking about, and possibly in the near term a lot less impactful because it, it takes so much effort to, to change, um, but that the key is really identifying, like, here's the problem, and this is a technology that we think can help, right? Or that we think can get us to a, to a good solution faster, we don't know, so we're going to pilot it out. And if we see that there's too much friction, right? maybe I think this voice interface is going to be great for us, but you know what? It actually is just creating more work than we wanted. So now we've, we figured that out. Um, but at least I've done it in a, in a, I didn't have to send people through a three-month course. So this is not as much about, um, I'm, again, going through huge amounts of new training to develop new skills. It's much more just, being aware of what technologies exist and being aware of my problems and seeing where there's a match and trying it out rapidly. And the, and the skill is essentially rapid testing rather than it is, you know, maybe some specific thing I can put on my resume about this uh, a technology that I know. Yeah, so you're, you're, the skill that you're gonna need is a skill which I call um, being intrapreneurial. And that is uh, being the entrepreneur inside your company which fundamentally being entrepreneurial is, are you willing to try new things? And the definition of an experiment is that we don't actually know the outcome before we initiate the trial. An experiment by definition is we try something, we learn, we get a result, and the result tells us something that we didn't know before. And this is different than a business case or a, uh, you know, hey, I'd like to implement this pilot but I presume that there's an 80 or 90% likelihood that this pilot is going to work. Don't, uh, before you implement pilots, think about, I'd like to experiment with this technology. I don't know how it's going to work and if it's going to work and how it's going to work for us, but an experiment is let's implement it and let's get the result out of it. And let me give you some specifics. Yeah. So Hilton Hotel processes over 100,000, uh, they hire over 100,000 people a year, right? That, that's how many. Uh, or process applications sure. for more than many. Um, and they all used AI to automate their application process. And they reduced, uh, and it was simple by putting in a voice interface or an interface to help people fill, complete the application form. In job, in the HO world, you can only interview the candidate for whom you have a completed application form. Helping people complete application forms gives you more candidates. So the AI would nudge and prompt in a chatbot interface, what is your name? And what's your first name? What's your last name? What's the name you go by? Where do you live? What's your phone number? Asking me those questions 
detecting your response and using those responses and inputting them into the right place into the form or into the system allows me to help you complete your application form in a way that you didn't even realize you were completing your application form. Hilton was then able to go um, using other algorithms on where you live, recommend here's the openings near you. It's not necessarily the hotel that's closest geographically to you. Often it's a hotel that's most accessible to you if you're using bus routes because most of these employees weren't driving. So that now we're in the Uber logic, right? It, it, it's unnatural to recommend the second or third furthest, uh, uh, further hotels away, but the algorithm is you have two or three choices of getting to that one. The bottom line was people being offered more relevant roles in more relevant locations and people that were hired using the AI algorithms to supplement the hiring stayed twice as long and, and the, the hiring process was reduced from six weeks to less than two weeks. So if you can hire people three times, two to three times faster, and they'll stay twice as long, I'd say that's a winning application for AI. And people didn't even realize they were using an AI. They were just using an application to complete their job process. A second one was with a bank that integrated a, an, an assessment into the process and based on your assessment results was then able to suggest these are roles that you might be better off applying for at the bank. Do you want to continue with your application? And allowing people to quit out of there uh, because the time uh, to, to review incomplete or poor applications hurts HR processes. So there again, they, they enhanced the quality of the candidates, allowed candidates that weren't qualified to realize they weren't qualified and didn't waste time on unqualified candidates, and again, we're able to streamline candidates for right roles. GE uh, put, uh, has a catalog of learning assets in their corporation for, for their hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. The issue is be a learner, be a learner, be a learner, but what do I learn? And GE put in essentially what Netflix does is people like you at your level who got promoted a year or two later tended to consume these learning assets. And people like you are people in your geography or at, at your level in factories versus at your level in, in, in offices. And the AI was able to recommend more relevant learning assets to GE employees. And the metric that GE used once they implemented AI in their learning um, algorithms was that the consumption of learning assets increased by over 200%. And if you have your employees consuming more learning assets, that was the function of the learning of GE's uh, corporate universities. How do we get our employees to consume more learning assets? How do we make, help our employees realize the learning assets are relevant to their career goals? Then you're going to have a smarter, better, more equipped workforce. None of those applications are threatening to anyone. They all help both the, the candidate or the employee move forward uh, quick, uh, faster through the process, get a better match for the outcome they're seeking, and both parties are happy with the result. That is the great uh, examples of the great applications of AI to HR, and it's not evaluating you and deciding who to hire, fire, or or, or eliminate or terminate or vaporize. That's the fear factor. 
It's really how do we enhance the employee experience or the people experience or the customer experience ambiently where the people don't even realize they're engaging with AI algorithms, but the outcomes are phenomenal in terms of productivity, satisfaction, and results. That's what AI is. That's what uh, the, the, the folks who are thinking with a transformative mindset are looking for. And the, the folks who fear disruption are reading too much in the media and are paralyzed by inaction and are unwilling to experiment with new technologies. And we'll get back to the fear factor in, in, a, in a second. One thing that I, that I do want to point out that I do think is different about um, a lot of these um, AI technologies is that you have the potential to perpetuate errors for longer periods of time. It, to, to the extent that, um, or not even necessarily errors, but things that are optimal today that might not be optimal tomorrow, and really making sure that you are constantly experimenting with breaking those processes in some way. You know, for example, when you were talking about those Hilton employees, that today most of them take bus routes. Right? Well, in five years, that might not be the case, as an example, right? Maybe uh, we have better train service in this city. I'm just making it up, probably not in Boston. <laughs> Um, but if that's the case, if you continue to use the same algorithm you did before, it would still be telling you something. It would still tell you the same thing that actually this is the best place for you to go, and it would be wrong. Sure. Um, and so I, I do think that uh, the that a lot of people are are in a set it or forget it mentality where and forget it mentality where I've now I've, I've implemented this technology. I've even shown it successful. And now that's done, we're going to keep doing it. I do think one of the really big differences is that you have to admit that these are constantly, you're just generating hypotheses and that you need to constantly look at those and see, are my assumptions still valid? Right? And figure out how to test those and how to evaluate those. Well, this is, um, there, there's some fundamentals about strategy that everybody underappreciates and about people. Um, strategy are actions designed to accomplish our objectives based on our capabilities and based on our assumptions. And every strategy document said, begins with the assumptions page. What are our assumptions about our customers, about our market, about this? And you nailed it exactly, is what are our assumptions? And the great thing about an algorithm, if it's structured correctly, is that the assumptions in the algorithm are laid out, right? They're coded. Here's the assumption. People's assumptions, very few people, when you say, when, when we see two people disagreeing about something, they're arguing about strategy, what they're actually arguing about is they, they both hold uh, underlying beliefs or assumptions that neither of them have articulated, and therefore the strategy that they see is obvious to them, and they argue about strategy instead of arguing about assumptions. So, as in business, um, we build our strategies based on assumptions, and if anything happens in our, that changes our assumptions, we need to update our assumptions and update our strategies. And with algorithms, we build our algorithms based on assumptions. Let's make the algorithm, let's make those assumptions clear, and if anything changes, we'll update the algorithm. But unlike people, I can change an algorithm's assumption in a, in a few seconds. I have to spend 
a lot of time convincing you to change your underlying beliefs, mindsets, and assumptions about what you think is right or wrong. And, and, uh, and people are beautiful that way and yet flawed that way. I can't change people's mindset and underlying assumptions overnight, no matter how much data I give them, but I can change an algorithm within seconds. And, and that's, the, that's where we have to be very careful about the um, uh, what's put in and what comes out. And some of these algorithms, the data in, people are actually choosing not to put certain data fields in. I was listening to an application the other day and they said, well, we don't put any indicator for gender. But as we're talking about an algorithm for people, we're not putting in any indicator for gender. We're not putting any, in any indicator for um, uh, age. And we're not putting in any indicator for uh, cultural orientation, color, or ethnicity. Now, uh, from the data that we have put in, choose me the most likely candidate to be promoted or um, to, to, be, uh, to need our help or inter our intervention. And again, uh, if I can go to a person and say, well, actually, how about you make that decision and ignore for these two variables? I can't, on, you can't unlearn that, you cannot do that. And so that's the beautiful thing about algorithms versus people. Yes, algorithms become biased, but the bias can be detected, or when it's detected, it can be fixed overnight. People's bias can be detected, and that is, that is a long, long process and an ugly process, and cannot always be corrected. And often we have to live with those horrible biases in people that perpetuate in, in face of, or in spite of, the data available. Given those benefits, feel that people are, uh, the concerns that people have, first of all, how, how valid are they around just, you know, technological change in general? And is there even anything, are those concerns growing? In the sense, are these things fundamentally new? Or is this another instance of, as technologies change, it impacts how society works and how people work? And that's happened throughout history. But do you feel like there's something fundamentally new happening? Um, or is this a continuation of processes that have been going on since humans have existed? Uh, I think there's something uh, fundamentally new in the sense that our willingness to rely on um, the decisions of algorithms is completely different then. Uh, before, in, in early human society, um, as God wills it, is a common refrain across multiple religions, right? So, as God will. And then we, we, we became, um, we, we learned about science and the role of nature and on our outcomes. And then we learned about the role of technology in our outcomes and using technologies and mastering technologies. And, and so, here, what we have is a uh, an ability to trust that for a technology that has better decision-making capabilities than we do for the first time. And we have a cultural context in which we're willing to trust the algorithm to, to do things. So again, the, uh, the example, both the driver and the passenger in my getting here today trusted the algorithm to root us. I don't know, I didn't know where this address was, and I don't think my driver had ever been to this address before. 
we both trusted the algorithm to get us here in the 12 minutes that it took us to get here. Um, secondly, uh, in driverless cars, I have not owned a car since, uh, for about 15 years, so I'm used to sitting in the back seat. And driverless car insurance is now, uh, now I know that dri I'm very primed to get into the back of a driverless car because my behavior is already get in the back seat. My behavior is already not tuned to being a backseat driver. And my behavior is already, I'm gonna input my address of my destination. So what's happening is with driverless cars, we're getting distracted by, did you hear what happened to that driverless car accident in Texas the other day? And realizing that the accident rate for driverless cars is one-tenth the accident rate of people-driven cars. But emotionally, we don't wanna be that person that gets hit by the machine. And I came across an insurance company the other day that is now insuring dynamically cars, Teslas. If the human is driving, the insurance is one rate. If the, if the car is under the control of the algorithm, the insurance rate is one quarter of that rate because their data indicates that when the algorithm is driving, the error rate or the likelihood of that car being entering into an accident while moving is at least 25% uh, of the rate of the human, plus a little extra that I'm gonna make some money on. And then if that car is not moving, there's a different insurance rate, because the worst that's gonna happen is you're gonna get hit by a, a tree in your driveway or a kid's ball is gonna break a window. And so they're now offering dynamic insurance rates depending on whether the car is moving or not and who's at the wheel. And that may seem odd now, but the old way of doing insurance was profiling you. You are a white male of a certain age living in a certain neighborhood with a certain income level. Um, you get a different insurance rate than a female of exactly your same um, other characteristics based on our very imperfect data. So which world do you want to live in? The, the one that is profiling us by our gender, our age, our income, our cell phone history, our bank account history, our credit card history, or the one that actually looks at my individual behavior and prices dynamically for my behavior versus the algorithm that looks at your individual behavior and just prices dynamically based on our actual behaviors and dynamic behaviors. I want to live in an AI-enabled world and I want all of those inefficient human decisions about my life to be removed from me, from, from my life. So I'm open to that and that's what I see as the dream of AI. In areas that are affecting my lifestyle, do I want an AI deciding to pull the plug on me if I'm, if I'm seriously ill at the hospital? No, perhaps I want my spouse to be making that decision. But let's make sure that we're using AI for the many, many, many opportunities that our lives can be enhanced by just better decision-making and getting people's decision-making out of the way. And let's not keep talking about, yeah, but what if the AI had a gun and we had to be policing and it was Robocop? Well, then don't give the AI a gun, right? Let's not use it for that first. Let's try to use it for the 99 other use cases where it helps our life and let's not use it where if it goes wrong, it's really, really bad. I think this is an important point that, uh, and there is obviously a much longer and separate discussion around concerns around data privacy and then who owns the data um, that goes into those algorithms and makes those decisions. 
longer, different discussion. But what I wanted to, uh, I guess, point out here is that a lot of the concerns that you're identifying, it's, it's not the um, robot going to take my jobs, right? That um, it, it's much more around um, relying on algorithms to help make decisions that we used to make. Now, there's still obviously a huge number of decisions and processes that those things can't do at all, not even close, right? But that it seems like, except for the privacy um, and possibly the bias perspective, um, those concerns are typically not the ones that are emphasized. It's much more around the, you know, it's technology going to take your jobs. From my perspective, that is not new. That is undoubtedly going to happen at some level, right? But it is unclear to me that that aspect of any of these new technologies is so disruptive that we're going to see you know the unemployment rate suddenly get to 20 percent that seems unlikely because i mean all the things you're talking about these are aspects of society and work that get automated but that has always happened right it's happened with uh, again if you talk about the cloud well i used to have um on-prem servers i don't have those anymore what happened to those jobs well those people have other skill sets that maybe some of them go work for, for amazon but some of them also could do other things um, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem, and you can, can come in on this, that those concerns, at least for the foreseeable future, are, are so different than we have all the time. Is that, was that your example? Yeah, I, I think yeah. um, uh, new technologies um, can either enhance work, but I think in AI, it will redistribute work. If it saves time, let's look at those HR folks. Um, one of the one those uh, at, at the uh, at Hilton, um, the other variable that I did not cover was the as a result of mat better matching of employee of uh, candidates to open vacancies, the workload on the HR managers at Hilton reduced, and therefore the re, um, the job satisfaction of those managers increased. And the likelihood is the tenure of those people, they're not gonna burn out from all, all the applications. We, they are now a better, um, likely to be a better, more engaged uh, employee of better tenure. So they, because some of the, 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 what was making the job a nightmare got passed off to the machine. The second one I'll give you is work gets distributed. Um, AI can figure out what work should you preserve doing yourself and how do we distribute work? If you've used any of these gig economy platforms, um, there, there's different debates on how big the gig economy is. Uh, whether it's it's up to about 15 or 20% of our workforce are some of the numbers that I tend to believe. But the gig economy is fundamentally a person got matched with an assignment for a fee and completed that assignment and got the fee. And uh, personally, I have farmed out various smaller assignments to people in about 20 different countries over the last year, using the Upwork platform as an example, for, to do things for me from transcription, from formatting documents, from editing a video, from various things that the, I was able to post the assignment and the algorithms were able to show me people who got high ratings doing this assignment for that rate before on that turnaround time. And sometimes I would, send a transcription down to somebody in Australia because I wanted it overnight. Well, guess what? 
And if I send something at midnight in Australia, it, at midnight my time, somebody in Australia is starting their day, and by the time they're done with their day and I get up and wake up, that task is completed and in my inbox. So, so work will be redistributed um, in, to others, yes. Work also will be redistributed as in reducing what I'm doing personally and redistributing to the, the machine. So it's person plus machine doing the work. Um, I teach part-time at Babson. Uh, when people, Babson was founded to teach the, uh, the next generation of the sons of the mill workers at the turn of the century, of the turn of the 19th century. Um, and if you did not have your own stenographer or personal secretary, the college would provide one for you. Because the technology of getting work done as a senior executive was that you issued memos. You, you dictated memos and letters to your personal assistant who would then send those out. Now Babson students have a PC. If, if you do not have your own, the college will provide one for you. So the tasks of being able to, the, 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 the nature of the work we've got to do, um, capture our thoughts and share them with others has not changed. But instead of having my personal stenographer and learning how to dictate to, um, to that person, we then went through a phase of typing and manually not saying anything. And now at Babson, we're going back to um, people are now, um, I won't say typing their essays, but they're dictating their essays again. We're now in another era with voice recognition and we're seeing students dictating and their essays and the nature of their essays have become a little bit more conversational because how people used to think and write is different than how people think and speak. And so we're back. So tell me what the technology evolution was there. We're back to, I have a job that I wanna get done. The fastest way is to articulate the job I want done. Now, what are the technologies around me that are going to get that job done? And let me put in my favorite TV ad that I saw in the US. <laughs> lights on, lights off for the clapper. Ever since that clapper that turned off and turned on our lights, that is nothing, that was the first intelligent technology I saw 25 years ago in the US. And that's what we're back to is the detection of our needs, our wants, our intents, using technology to detect that and to get that task done. And then just to put in a pun here, at the end of the day, a lot of these tasks and technologies will Here's my pun. Humanize the way we get our work done. There we go. That, that, that word seems to work that, for some reason. That, that's where so, at the end of the day, work and tasks have to be humanized. That's a great way to, to wrap up. And I know we could keep talking about this for a long time, but I appreciate you taking the time. And I uh, really enjoyed the discussion. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank Ben. Awesome.